Luke chapter 2, we'll start at verse 1. Just to start at the beginning, and then we'll read through our passage. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius, Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, <coughs> and on peace on earth to people he favors. In our time in Luke chapter 2 last week, we spent it online together, and you know one of the things I think is, is really great, after preaching these many years and having Christmas services come and go, there, there really isn't anything new to preach, and so uh, some of you were around when, uh, I don't even remember, but the message that was uh, found in our online gathering was just from 2016. And, you know, what's great about the scriptures is that it's timeless. And, and it's so weird because I'm thinking like, can anything from 2016 be relevant to us now? But if it's the word, it is. And if you remember last week, we tried to answer the question, like, what is so great about shepherds. Like, why? Why were shepherds integrated into this narrative that is the gospel story, that is the birth of Jesus? And as a culture, back then, I don't know what you think about shepherds now, but there was really nothing that great about shepherds. In fact, if you were an adult and you were still a shepherd, you really hadn't accomplished much in most people's eyes. This is because shepherding was the ultimate unskilled worker's job. Anybody could do it. In fact, a kid could do it. For those of you who know the story of King David, you know David and Goliath, right? You'll remember that when Samuel came looking for the next king, he was where? Where was David? He was out in the fields, tending the sheep. And based on the chronological events between his anointing to be king and when he actually took the throne when he was about 30 years old, most Bible scholars believe that David was at, at the oldest, 15 years old, 15 years old, and a lot of scholars go anywhere between 10 to 15 years old. So listen, what kind of job is a job 
that a 10 to 15 year old is able to do besides working at Chick-fil-A or McDonald's, right? Like, I mean, it, it's, an, it's, a, it's an easy job. It, it should be one that's fairly easy for you to do. And it was to these shepherds, people who were given the responsibility that most people look down on. Oh, shepherd. I mean, we make the joke nowadays, right? I mean, what do, what do teachers threaten kids who don't study well in school? Like, oh, you don't study well, you're just going to be working at... Right? I mean, we understand that, right? And I'm sure there was some joke back then to children, you know, if you don't, you don't study hard, you're going to what do you mean, working in the fields as a shepherd. And it was to these shepherds that God in his sovereignty chose to announce the birth of Jesus to the world, or as we would sing, joy to the world. And while Christmas is joyful for a lot of people, it should be said and recognized that for others, Christmas reminds people of how disappointed they are in life. For many people, Christmas time makes people feel really lonely, whether it's because you are literally alone during a time it seems like everyone else is gathering with their friends and with their family. Or maybe it's just that nagging sense that even though you are surrounded by the people you love, you can't escape this feeling that you're alone. And somehow Christmas kind of amplifies that. The holiday season amplifies that. For others, Christmas reminds them of someone who used to be in their life that is not there anymore. A parent, a spouse, a child, a friend. For others, they're reminded of how broken and dysfunctional their family is when Christmas comes around. Some of you dread going home for Christmas. And if this is you, it's probably because, you know, it feels like the whole goal over the next few weeks is just not to get into an argument, right? If you come from that kind of family or, you know, your prayer is, Lord, just... Mm, help me to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> you know, when, when, when my brother Dwayne says his, goes on his little rant about politics or, right, anyone else, right? And, and, and you just, you're like, if I can just not go too far this Christmas. I heard a person once say that happiness is having a large, close knit family who all live in another city, right? Um, for others, this season finds them maybe without a job or what feels like a dead-end job, dead job. And consequently, they're worried about things like their future or concerned about how they're going to provide for their family or, or be reminded that they're still without the kind of family that they always hoped they would have. The point is this. These shepherds, these shepherds came into this first celebration of the birth of Jesus, this first Christmas, if you would so have it. And yes, I, I do know that the first Christmas didn't happen in December, okay? So I, I get that. But as we celebrate this idea of Jesus' birth at this time, the shepherds, in their own way, were celebrating the birth of Jesus. And I, I don't think it's stretching it to say that 
some of them may or may not have felt like their lives weren't exactly the most awesome thing either. I would imagine that some of them knew that they were, according to their Jewish laws, ceremonial unclean, and they understood what that meant to walk around with that on their shoulders. And they understood what their aunt or uncle told them about what it means to be a shepherd. And I would imagine waiting out in the fields at night, some of them just maybe feeling disappointed. And maybe you're in the same place. And if so, the good news is that you are the exact ones to whom the angels were sent to give their message. So the question is, how was their message received? This is the part of the story that's great. Look at this, verse 15. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. For the shepherds, it wasn't enough to see the angels. You'd think it would have been, right? Oh my goodness, this is amazing. Night sky shattered with light. Stillness erupting with angelic voices filling the night sky, declaring, glory to God in the highest. And I can guarantee that these simple shepherds had never seen such a splendor. But it wasn't enough to see and hear the angels. It wasn't enough just to be reminded that there was more to life than just being a shepherd, but that there was something also to look forward to. Salvation and peace on earth through a Savior. Because of this, the disciples had to do what? They had to go. They had to go and see Jesus. And here's the interesting thing. You can trace, here's the interesting thing. You can trace a long line of people who have become Jesus seekers back to this maybe relatively, seemingly unimportant and unassuming group of shepherds who said, after hearing the good news of Jesus, hey, let's go. Let's see. In fact, since the shepherds, the call to understand who God is and what he is like has been through the invitation to go, to come, and to see. In John 1, a guy by the name of Philip invites his brother Nathaniel to come and see this Messiah who was born. Where is he from? From Nazareth. Nazareth, as Nathaniel says, what good can come from Nazareth? Come! And see, I don't know, but come and see. Philip would be the one to come and see. Philip would also be the one to whom Jesus later tells him, point to his face, if you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. In Matthew 28, we find the angel of the Lord inviting the women who stood in front of a tomb with a rolled away stone to come and see that Jesus is risen. That God kept his promise to defeat sin and death and make a way for people to be reconciled to God. Come and see. Come and see. Some of you have heard me say this for years, but one of the greatest truths of the scriptures, if you want to know what is God, 
If you, if, if you want to know what God is like, then you do what? Look at Jesus. And I get it. More than ever in my lifetime, I can understand why some people have pushed God away or maybe kept God at arm's distance because they view him as unloving or he's an angry God or an unfair God or a distant God or egotistical or maybe just plain irrelevant. I get it. But this, during, during this season, I, I want to encourage you to remember what this God is like, not by looking at all the traditions or even looking at all the religion. I want to encourage you that you can know what God is like by looking at Jesus. Luke goes on to say in verse 16, they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. In this commentary of the Gospel of Luke, um, N.T. Wright uses this illustration to point out what he believes is one of the significant implications of this passage, and he just writes this. He says, if you try to point out something to a dog, how many of you have dogs? Right? Yeah. right? If you try to point something out to a dog, the dog will often look at what? Your finger. Instead of at the object you're trying to point to. This is frustrating, but it illustrates a natural mistake we all make from time to time. To concentrate on the manger and to forget why it was mentioned in the first place is like the dog looking at the finger rather than the object. Why has Luke mentioned this manger three times in the story? The reason Luke has mentioned it is because it's important in giving their shepherds their news and their instructions. Listen, if you're someone who doesn't know whether you've bought into everything you've heard about Jesus and the Bible, I, I, I get it. There, there doesn't really feel anything inherently significant in this Christian Christmas story. I get it. But if you are a follower of Christ, and that's who I want to speak to today, if you have made the commitment to increasingly submit all of life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, then the Christmas story is more than just good news, but it's also instruction. It's an invitation to go and see the Savior that was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord, paraphrase of Luke 2.11. The angels gave the shepherds details on how they could find Jesus. Remember that? And what did the shepherds do after hearing these instructions? They didn't say, <clears throat> that doesn't sound right. The king of kings, the lord of lords, a manger? Uh, that doesn't fit the narrative of what I think God would do, should do. Instead, the shepherds put their trust in what they were told, right? And based on the story, we find that this trust did not disappoint. Look at this, verse 17. It says, After seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about the child. So they found Mary and Joseph. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. 
And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. I wonder, I wonder if the people in our everyday circles of influence are missing out on what being amazed about the truths of God is. I wonder if the people around us are lacking an experience of saying, wow, God is awesome. Not because the news of who God is and what he's done isn't good, but simply because we fail to trust the message enough to go. That we just sit in awe of the fact that God, by his sovereignty, has given us such great news of a Savior that leaves us speechless, but yet we fail to go. I think there are many people who follow Christ and sincerely desire God to move through their lives, but they're left wondering how God is going to work through their lives, all while the second-guessing, they already know what the Lord wants from them. We're going to meet the Savior. Well, we can't go unless we have some gifts to bring. I mean, that's what my wise men would do, right? I mean, that's what, that's what the shepherds could have said. They could have, oh, we know where it's going to, we, we've been told where the Savior is. We should probably bring him some gifts. Oh, we're poor. Well, we can't go. Oh. I want to lead people to Jesus, Phil, but I don't know any non-Christians. Oh, yeah, okay. I want to be a good steward of my finances, Phil, but I... I just have too many bills to pay for. To support, you know, the quality of life I, I feel I deserve. Okay, okay. I want to be in community with others, Phil, but only if community looks how I want it. And, you know, if it feels easy and natural, you know, because that's, that's what I think community should look like. Just like this, you know, kindredness and, uh, you know, shouldn't be difficult. I don't want to deal with you know, draining people. You know, I want to be said that I'm a person of prayer, Phil, but yeah, I mean, I'm so busy. I just, I don't have time to pray. I wonder if we're missing some amazement in our life. Not because the news we have is good, but because we just refuse to say, hey, let's go. Let's see this Jesus, and then let's tell everyone what this God has done. Maybe the key to resisting this kind of thinking is to look at what Mary did after she heard all this stuff. Look at verse 19. It says this, but Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart, treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. If any of you have ever had kids or are close to someone who's had kids, you'll know that the first few months of being a first-time parent can be overwhelming, right? Right? First-time parent. It could be a little, because you don't know what you don't know, right? You don't know what you don't know. Is that a hungry cry 
or is that a painful cry, right? Are they hurt? Are they just hungry, right? Are they just annoyed? Or is that a, I poop my diaper cry, I'm hungry cry? And some of you are like, oh my goodness, there's different cries. Oh yeah, there's different cries, right? There's the, <laughs> right? Which is kind of like the annoyed cry. Then there's the, <laughs> it's, just, it's just like the, I'm, I want to I wanna sleep, but I'm having fun cry, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, I'm, (laughs) right? And then, and then there's the hungry cry. We all know what that is. And and it's just overwhelming as a first time parent. You're trying to figure this out because you don't know. Or poop again. I just changed you, right? Pee again. Oh my goodness. I just changed you. And I can imagine for, for Mary, what, what was going on in her mind? I don't know. Should I put Jesus in the manger? I don't know. Maybe I just have him sleep with me. You know, my cousin Elizabeth let her son sleep in the bed with them, but I think that was just maybe, I don't know, that's kind of crazy. I think he'll probably end up, I don't know, living in the desert, eating lo- locusts and honey, because that's what happens when you let kids sleep with you. They just get all crazy. I don't know. Like, I don't know. You know, like all these like debates that we have, right? I, I can just see her thinking, like, do I, do I do this or do I that? You know, it's just a hunch. And listen, in the middle of trying to learn what it means to be a first-time parent in a home that, that isn't your own, in a city that isn't your own, with an unexpected and ceremonial, unclean company coming over to ask to see your newborn baby, I mean, you just got to realize what's happening here. I mean, just think about this. Mary was able to stop and recognize how God was moving through all this. It says Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. Instead of seeing the realities of what God was doing in her life as burdens, She was seeing them as blessings. I mean, think about it. (laughs) Mary, you have total permission to be like, guys, just leave me alone. I haven't slept. I'm tired. I went through childbirth. It's. But in this moment, she was able to treasure and meditate. I don't know what season of life you're in. Maybe you're good. No problems. But maybe your life just feels a little chaotic. And the demands of Christmas feels like a bunch of dirty shepherds just coming over unannounced. You're like, all right. Okay, I I guess we're going to be entertaining some people. Maybe you find yourself like Mary in a place of your life where it feels like anything but home. I mean, sure. I mean, my husband's from this area. Got some family here. But nothing's like sleeping in your own bed, walking into your own home. And here I am. Maybe you've been battling sickness for the last few weeks and you're wondering how in the world you're going to bring some kind of encouraging word. (laughs) That's me. But whatever season you find yourself in, I think what God would want to tell you is he's embracing, he's inviting you to embrace the good news of Jesus' birth. 
which is what? That there is no depth that your creator will not descend to for you. That there is no place of messiness that God will not meet you in order to restore relationship with you. And there is no situation that God will not enter into to reveal his love for you. This is the good news of the birth of Jesus. And when this news you embrace is this news in this season, then your life can be filled with the greatness of God as it was for the shepherds who, as verse 19 says, uh, verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for the things they had seen and they had heard, which were just as they had been told. My prayer for you this Christmas in the hustle and the bustle of what is everything, and maybe sometimes in the stagnation of, you know, that there's that part of everyone's Christmas break where you're kind of just all sitting and you're just like doing nothing. <laughs> I would hope that you would find yourselves being able to stop as Mary did and to treasure the blessings that God has given to you, one, in your family and the realities of the blessings he's given you in stuff in presence as well as the presence of people, right? But most of all, that you would know that the Savior, which is Jesus, Christ the Lord, has come for you and that there is salvation for you and that there is hope for you and that there is joy for you and that there is purpose for your life to not only be blessed, but to be a blessing.